All right, I want to open up in prayer. Jesus, thank you for church. This is your idea. This is your baby, and it's your body. It's the way that you are shown on earth to society. It's the way that we can demonstrate who you are to the world. It's the way that we support each other. This is your design, and it's a good one. Help us to approach the idea of church, approach the concept of this community with humility and with openness, with a desire to see your Holy Spirit move. And as we start this series on our community covenant, God, there too, um, give us open ears and hearts uh, as, we, as we sort of take a look at, uh, at, at what we might call the heartbeat of, of Pleasant Valley, the thing that demonstrates our, our core character and our core desires for what church should look like and can look like when we're working together as a body. In your name, amen. So we sort of intentionally planned that uh, Teresa would come up uh, and give that announcement right before the message because in many ways it ties uh, neatly in to what I'm going to be talking about today, to what we're going to sort of be launching into uh, today. Because when changes or transitions like this happen, uh, there are a couple of things that are true. One thing is, is that we ask questions. Uh, and they're questions that we always should be asking. They're things that should always be in our heads. But during times of transition, they become a little bit uh, more sort of front of brain. We think about these things a little bit more intentionally. So questions about priority and about structure and about where God is calling to us, us to as a community and all of these things. Uh, and it's a beautiful way uh, of doing church together. It's something that we've uh, inherited from our Anabaptist forefathers is that those questions don't just get talked about at a leadership level in some kind of isolated chamber. Those are questions that we all talk about uh, together. The Anabaptist movement, one of their strongest movements, one of their biggest sort of core philosophies was what you might call the rejection of the high priest. The rejection that there is some person that is above or that has an authority or a decision-making power that supersedes everyone else. The, well, I shouldn't say that the Anabaptist church rejected the high priest. What they did is they looked at scriptures like the ones you find in Hebrews and go, we see that Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is our high priest. And that actually puts everyone here in the church, including leadership, including paid staff, including pastors, we're on the same playing field. We make these decisions in community. And so as this transition takes place, and as these questions are asked, and as this journey moves forward, this is something that we all walk together. This is not just a Mike, Darren, Jesse thing. This is an us thing. And so as we do this, it's exciting to me that we get to take these four weeks to walk through sort of our core identity document. We get to look at and remind ourselves what we have said that we want to be as a church, and we get to engage with that call in that community in an intentional way. And this is all leading up towards the end of November uh, when we are going to be doing a signing of our community covenant. So today isn't going to be a day where I pick a specific chunk of scripture from the Bible and sort of exposit it for you and walk through it that way. It's not maybe a traditional sermon in that way. This isn't something that I'm ever going to be able to uh, repackage and preach in a different context. This is going to be about us, about Pleasant Valley and our body here, and I'm excited to wander through that question together uh, with you. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at sort of specifically breaking down uh, aspects or pieces of the covenant, but today is going to be a bit of an overview, sort of a big picture, asking some of these big 
questions. And so to start that process off, I want to ask you guys a big question. I'll ask the ushers to grab mics and kind of be ready maybe to, uh, to hand them around if all of a sudden uh, people have their hands up. Uh, you hopefully got the heads up via email that this question was coming. I hope that some of you had had a chance to think about this just a little bit. And I'm very interested in your answers. I'll set the question up a little bit. Uh, but the question is, why church? Why are you here? You could have been a lot of other places this morning. You could have been out for brunch somewhere. You could have been sleeping in. You could have been getting important stuff knocked off of your to-do list. But you showed up. You're here. You're sitting in the pews. You're stuck with me for the next 25 minutes. I didn't bar the doors. I'm not offering you money or snacks. You're here. You drove two and a half miles of gravel. You got your car dirty. Might have been a tough morning. Maybe some of you had to drag a grumpy two-year-old kicking and screaming here. Maybe you've got that cold that's going around. Maybe you're tired or overwhelmed or frazzled or imperfect or wrestling with sin or with doubt or anxiety. Maybe you don't even really want to be here. But you are here. And thank you for coming. It is good to see you here. Maybe some of you bounced out of bed pumped that it was Sunday morning. Maybe there was a bird singing outside of your window. Maybe you missed all the potholes. Maybe everything's gone perfectly smoothly for you. And you're here too, and that's awesome. There's going to be a whole spectrum of journeys out there. We heard some of them during sharing time. The things that people are walking into this building with. But what we have in common today is we all got up and decided to be here. Why? Why church? Love to hear some of your thoughts on that. To support and encourage each other and to be supported and be encouraged by each other. Absolutely. To both give and receive support and encouragement. The Bible says <clears throat> the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. And one, one and if we do that, we're going to obey his commandments. It says in the Bible, do not forget the assembly of the saints, more so in the latter years. Absolutely. It's something we're called to do. That's a very good answer to the question. For me, there is a big question. Because uh, since I was introduced to church way back, uh, the church looked very different than it does today. Uh, I still love to come to church. I love my church. I love the people here. And I love the idea of also being part of the big church, mm. the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, you know, I'm not in the lead anymore, but then you simply have to trust the younger set that they listen to the same Holy Spirit that we tried to listen then, not perfect, mm -hmm. and I assume that our current leaders would not profess to be perfect in everything, but nevertheless, I choose to support them, and I love to be here, mm -hmm. and I agree totally with Alan's comment of Hebrews 25, uh, Hebrews 10, 25, uh, some, um, that we should not forget that summoning of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Mm -hmm. And we see that happening so much. People mm -hmm. drop out mm -hmm. of church. 
no longer necessary. And I am on the wavelength that church is important. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate that. And appreciate the role you once filled where the older generation had to trust you as you stepped in here too. That cycle continues. I'm going to move ahead unless a hand flashes up in this moment. There are a lot of good answers to the question of why church. Um, one of them, a, a few weeks ago I had the opportunity to speak uh, to the youth of Rosenord at a community uh, event that we have every couple of months. And this was the first one of the year. And I started it off with something I heard another pastor do once. It's an interesting exercise. Uh, I gave them a, a chunk of a verse, a small piece. Uh, and you guys have a head start here because you already know what we're talking about. But for them, it was a cold intro. They didn't know what the topic was going to be. And I said, there is something that Paul talks about in Scripture. And he refers to it as the pillar and foundation of truth. What do you think he is talking about? And the answers I got were good answers. They're probably the answers that I would have given if I was, gotten, I was, I was given that question uh, without any context. They said, Jesus. And of course, there are many ways in which Jesus is the pillar and foundation of truth for us. And they said, God. And they talked about the Holy Spirit. And they talked about the Bible. And they had all these different answers. And then finally, as they were running out of Sunday school words, someone said, well, church. And the answer is yes. That verse talks about church. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15, he's giving Timothy some advice, and he says, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. That's incredibly high praise or an incredibly high calling for us as the church. That's you and me, this imperfect and messy and hurting and broken and human organization, us together are called to be this. And I'm so, so thankful that it's us and not me. It does not say that the pastor is the pillar and the foundation of truth. If that were the case, I never would have taken the job. I would have run away. I don't measure up. I'm not even close. But there is something supernatural that happens when all of us, who could never be that pillar on our own, who are flawed and who are weak, when we come together and when we meet and when we do our best to look corporately like Jesus, it's impossible for you and it's impossible for me, but for us, for that community, Paul says that bond, that connection, that gathering becomes the pillar and foundation of truth in our society. It is the load-bearing structure that is holding up truth in our society. It's a point that I've made before, and I'm going to continue to make it. I'm convinced by Scripture that the church is not an optional thing. Us together as the body of Christ, loving God and loving the people around us, living church is essential to our ability to grow in relationship with Christ. It's essential for us to understand and live out the gospel. And I want you to be careful not to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about any specific program uh, or system. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not actually even talking about Sunday mornings. Although 
I think that Sunday mornings are an incredibly important part of how we realize that together as a community. What I am talking about is being a part of the sort of community that we are called to be in the New Testament. Being the sort of group that we see form in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit shows up. That's my go-to passage in the Bible. When someone asks me, what is church? What should church look like? That is where I end up in Acts 2. It's a practical example. The Holy Spirit shows up. Peter preaches and calls the crowd to repentance. And the church sort of forms for the first time in its infancy. And and Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us this sort of real-world example. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and the church comes together. And people, broken, hurting, messy people, get together and look like Jesus. This is what it looks like. Acts 2, uh, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's a lot to dig into there, but what resonates for me through every single phrase, through every piece of that, the beating heart that sits underneath that is deep and rich and real community. They ate together, they worshiped together, they shared their possessions, they met together daily, they lived in each other's homes, they enjoyed each other. It was deep and real and meaningful relationship. And that's why things like mom's group or small groups, or men's breakfasts, or sharing time on Sunday mornings, times like we had this morning, are such powerful, powerful things in terms of how we do church, because they are the things, in many ways, that build that deep life connection. Uh, To look at this from one other angle, it's amazing to me the way the Bible starts. Before the fall, in the garden, when everything is perfect, When God, who is everything, who is all, and is in all, who is the creator and the perfecter and the sustainer, who is is the identity of love, he creates Adam. And the two of them, Adam and God, were together, and everything was very good. And Genesis talks about this idea, right, of God and Adam walking in the garden, of God being present in person. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing, and yet... And this feels almost wrong to say. It doesn't feel right. But we see it in Scripture. Right in the midst of perfect creation, pre-fall, with a perfect God, it wasn't enough for Adam. And God understood that. In verse 18, God says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so Eve, the second human, was created. And from then on out, We live as humans in community, in relationship with each other. We are built, we are wired in the perfect way that God made us to need more than God. We need each other. And I cannot stress it enough, that's part of the way that we are meant to be. 
That's not a result of living in a broken world. That's not a result of not seeing God fully or of sin or decay or frailty. People operating perfectly as they were always meant to operate, seeing God face to face, receiving all that he has to give, would also have a need in their core to connect with other people, to work together, to share each other's burdens, to celebrate and to grieve with one another. And if you look at the way that the church is talked about in the New Testament, the analogies that are used, it becomes clear how important relationship is, how important connection is. Paul repeatedly refers to the church as the body, this concept of an organism built up with different parts, working together, interconnected, interdependent, assisting each other, complementing each other. Uh, in Romans 12, verses 4 to 5, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Again, in relational terms, right? In Ephesians, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It's a relational, intimate, interconnected metaphor again. The church is described as a family. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The connection is deeper than convenience or friendship or just showing up. We're together as a family. Jesus said in Matthew of his disciples, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. It's a deep covenantal connection. Marriage, family, being a part of the same body, these things can't easily be severed or broken apart. They are strong, strong connections. And there are also some building analogies that are used for the church. This idea of being the house of God, which carries the idea of being his family, but also brings in a structural sense, right? We're supporting each other. It's a load-bearing relationship. We're protecting each other from the elements. We're creating a place that feels safe, that feels like home. And finally, the church is referred to as a temple, the place where God dwells. In Ephesians 2, it reads, The household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Are you getting tired of me repeating it yet? This is the drum that I am most passionate about beating. It's, it's why I get excited for the opportunity to walk through this covenant with you. Community is essential. And church is God's tool for accomplishing community. So this community covenant, for those who might be unfamiliar, is the document that we have, that we as a church have created that describes what it looks like to be a member of this body, both in terms of how the church supports and encourages and serves you, and then also how you become a part of that network of serving and supporting and encouraging and growing. And we do a signing of this document uh, every couple of years. We print out a new copy of it on a new frame. You'll see the current one hanging uh, as you leave the sanctuary here. And then what we do is we sign our names to it as a visual reminder, a symbol of our standing with, our association with, our connection with the body here at Pleasant Valley. And like I said at the beginning of the message, uh, this is something that we're heading towards. We're planning to do this 
uh, later in November. So we wanted to take a few weeks and refresh ourselves on what the document says. Uh, when I was preparing for this message, I sat down with Darren for a few minutes to chat about the history of the covenant. Because when I came in, it was here. So as far as I was concerned, it could have always been here. But I knew there must have been a genesis. There must have been a moment when this came into being. So I was curious about that. I talked a bit with Darren. And he figured that from the idea of switching to this form of membership through to the first signing was about a six-year process. That right at the turn of the millennium, sounds a long time ago, hey? About 2000, the leadership uh, and the church, and maybe especially Darren and Ernie, began to process this concept of membership, the drawbacks of, of the traditional model, which was typically an outdated list, right? People will move away or stop attending, but their names don't really get removed, and people would attend and get involved and be invested and be a core part of what was going on, but they didn't do the official membership transfer, and so it wasn't really reflecting what was going on inside the church. And so the first push, the first kind of idea behind this was that it was something that would reflect reality, that would be able to accurately show who we are now uh, in this time. And it was an effort to kind of build out these two mirrored pieces, what the church does for you as a member, and then what you as a member do for the church. It was an effort to scripturally and practically paint a picture of what engaged and relational investment in the body looks like, of what commitment to something bigger than yourself looks like. And so with much prayer and discussion and research, the Community Covenant was created. And the first signing he thought was in 2006. I don't know, does that sound right to people? Again, this is before my time. But about 2006 was the first signing of this frame. And we've had four or five since then, re-signings of this document. So maybe just to step back a little bit, there are actually three documents. I'll, I'll, I'll characterize it like this. There are three documents on our church website that together paint a pretty complete picture, as well as three documents can, of, of who we are as a church. And I'm wondering, this is becoming a very interactive uh, sermon, but I'm wondering, uh, what do you think those documents are? One, I'll give you one. One's the Community Covenant. That's one of those documents. There are two others. Oh, they're there. Okay, so who knows? What are the other two documents? I told Joey that the PowerPoint was real easy and there was no way for him to spoil a punchline for me. Okay, Statement of Faith, Community Covenant, Policy Handbook. Those three documents together sort of form at some level in, 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 a, in, a, in a sort of a, a, a shallow sense. They're just, they're just pieces of paper, but they form a sense of the identity of who we are uh, as Pleasant Valley. So the first is the Statement of Faith, right at the top there. And this is kind of, it's a theological document. It's just, that's to say that it speaks about our understanding of ourselves and and creation, and order, and purpose within our context of our understanding of God. It looks at scripture, it looks at um, our theological history, it looks at the foundations of our faith, and it's an attempt to boil down what we believe into its simplest, most straightforward possible format. To get rid of the fluff, to get rid of opinion, to get rid of cultural things that might change from generation to generation. There's nothing in there about hymns or praising worship music. It's about getting down to the very, very core of what we believe about God and the world and our place in it. And the document comes from the Evangelical Mennonite Conference, the EMC, which we are a part of. 
And they've done a very good job of trying to distill this thing down. I've had the opportunity to be kind of on the fringe of some of those conversations as they've reworked and reprocessed this document to go, what do we really believe? And there are hours and hours of thought and prayer and faithful reading of Scripture kind of going into forming this thing. And it's the most concise possible summary of what we believe. And that's not to say, by the way, if you were to go to our website and you read that document and you got questions about what is there, you're not kicked out. You're allowed to attend. We're happy to have you here, and I'm happy to engage with you on some of those things. But that represents sort of the core of our theological belief, what we as a church say that we stand for. And then we have, on the bottom there, the policy handbook, which is an important document, a bit of a boring one, but an important one that gives us a framework or a skeleton to kind of hang church on. It's not the Bible. It's not theological in nature. There's nothing in that book that is sacred or is unchangeable. That book is us as a church coming together and saying, how can things run most smoothly? How can we do this best? We're an organization of several hundred people, and it's important that systems are explained well so that when we show up to a meeting, or when we join a committee, or when we become a deacon, or an elder, or when we hire staff, that there's an established order. It keeps us from having to reinvent the wheel whenever we get to these sorts of things. It establishes transparency and order, and it's often adjusted or tweaked. It's, it's constantly being worked on. When Mike and I were hired on as associate pastors, we revamped the section that talked about pastoral work because we were, for the first time, in a situation where we had multiple paid pastoral staff, and so we looked at this and went, what, what, what does this look like now? We changed that page because we wanted to make sure it reflected the reality of what was happening. It's just our best effort to say this is how things work well. This is a system that enables us to do church. It's kind of, the way I might think of it is it's, it's, it's the grammar of church. It's the syntax. It's the way, the language that we use to kind of talk to each other. Does that make sense? And, and by its nature, it's sort of a, a formal, practical document. It's a little bit dry because that's its purpose. It's structural in nature. And then we have the community covenant, which in my mind very much forms a bridge you can see how I've got it laid out there, between these two documents. Or maybe I could put it this way. If the statement of faith is the brain, how we think about God and creation and our role, and the policy handbook is the skeleton, it's how we structure things, it's sort of what we build on in some ways. The community covenant in many ways, I believe, is the heart. It's the core of the church. It's what teaches us our heart posture in community, how this works on a relational level. You won't find anything in our community covenant about structure, about small groups, or about Sunday school, or about the makeup of worship teams, or how we run the video booth, or who's in charge of making coffee, or how many retreats we should have. None of that is going to be in this document. And you also won't find a lot of kind of hard theology in it. It's not about establishing a system of beliefs about God. That stuff flows out of the statement of faith and shapes and works in tandem with our community covenant, just like the brain and the heart have to work together in a body. The two are interconnected, but the community covenant isn't intended to be that sort of document. It's not worried about dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's of theology. There are references to scripture. It's got scriptural backing and scriptural source and scriptural support, but that's not its purpose. It's not a head document. It's a heart document. It's a description of what we sign up for. It's very, very simple. Just two sections each with four points. And it talks about the church's commitment to you. That is what you can expect from us, from the people beside you in the pews, from the leadership team and the pastoral team, from all of us together as a whole, from the body. 
Dallas Knelson uh, was going to be here speaking next week. Uh, but over the weeks after that, the following two Sundays, Darren and I are both going to take a look at the halves of the document, these two pieces. Uh, but I thought in this first sermon what would be nice, we're kind of drawing to a close here, but what would be nice is to read it out loud. And I also thought that it would be appropriate, because this is about us, that we would have us read it. So what's going to happen then is I've actually picked some volunteers uh, in the pews who are going to read out uh, the two halves. So we're going to start with the first one, and that is uh, the church's commitment to you. So if someone could get a mic to Dion. I think, right, you're the first reader? Yeah. Recognizing the awesome responsibility of being church, the group of people who corporately make up the body of Christ, we, the PV Church family, covenant to give you opportunity to fellowship, where you can belong, where you will be cared for, where you, where you will be held accountable, with whom you can meet for worship, opportunity to learn through preaching and teaching and for guidance, guidance in daily living, opportunity to serve, in the area of your giftedness, inside and outside the church. Opportunity to receive spiritual care and nurture through instruction and baptism, through participation in communion, through visitation and prayer in times of special needs, and in preparation for and during significant life events. So that in its, in its most condensed form is what you can expect to receive from the church opportunity. We as a church commit to creating an environment that makes space for you to engage, no matter what age you are, no matter what gender you are, what education level you are. At Pleasant Valley, we want you to be able to fellowship, to engage in relationship, to learn, and to be able to serve and to receive personal spiritual care. And the second half of the document is your commitment to the church. Having received Christ as my Lord and Savior, and having been baptized upon my confession of faith in Him, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the PV Church family. In doing so, I humbly commit myself to God and to this community of believers to shield the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders, and by accepting and supporting corporate decisions. I share responsibility for the growth of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. I serve in the ministry of my church by living a godly life, by discovering and using my gifts and talents, by developing a servant's heart, and by serving for God's glory and not man's praise. I support my church in practical ways, with my time by attending faithfully, with my resources by serving where possible, and with my finances by giving regularly. So that's the document. Our statement of faith feeds into and informs this. It creates a theological foundation for this. It sets our eyes on Jesus as the example of this. The community covenant is built out of our theology, our understanding of the Bible and who God is. And then on the other side, our policies and our programs and our structure flow out of this. Everything that we do at Pleasant Valley, every single program, every single event is driven in part by this mandate, by this covenant. Everything should be measured by this measuring stick. Is what we are doing, 
Is the program that we are running, is the system or the team or the committee or the event creating opportunity for us to fellowship and learn and serve and receive care? And each of us who have signed this document need to be processing as a member of this body, as a part of this community, am I shielding unity? Am I engaged in growth? Am I finding ways to serve? Am I supporting the church in practical ways? To boil it down even further, in the end, this is just our way in our cultural context, in our community, at this time, with these people, asking the question, how can we be who Christ has called us to be? How can we be the body? How can we be married to Christ? How can we be family? How can we be a temple? How can we as a church find ways to be what Paul says that we are, the pillar and foundation of truth in our community? I'm excited and honored to be able to stumble our way closer and closer to that answer along with you. As we listen to the Holy Spirit, and as we look to Jesus' example, and as we live together in community. Amen.